Welcome, dear listeners, to Saturn Speaks, a podcast about bringing spirituality down to earth. I am your host, Jessica Moore, and I'm sorry about the break from the last episode to this one. My winter vacation turned into a winter hiatus, so I ended up taking a lot more time off. And the next episode will be a bit delayed as well, but then I hope to get back into a weekly rhythm with this podcast because I have so much to talk about and I'm really excited to actually make this happen and get this out there. So today we will be exploring politics and I'm not going to be telling you what you should believe, but rather why you should care about what you believe and how that translates to politics. And I'd also like to talk about why it's a comfortable fantasy that being apolitical and not caring about politics is even possible um, because of how all of everything we do and uh, all of our beliefs have a real world manifestations, whether we like it or not. And politics is just one area of that. Um, and I'll also talk about why that is important and why that matters. So... Um, on this podcast today, may what needs to be said be said, and what needs to be heard be heard, and may the sharing and receiving benefit all of life. So I'd like to start with that idea that spiritual beliefs can even be apolitical, because if you start from the premise that beliefs drive action in the world, that all the actions that we take, all of our daily choices all stem from the beliefs that we hold, then therefore all beliefs lead to a particular manifestation in the world. And because that manifestation is the logical conclusion of that belief system. So, I mean, I can give some examples of how this um, happens with certain ideas, like the example... Um, I'd start with is the idea of purity. That's an example that's pretty common or a belief that's pretty common in religion and spirituality, uh, but it leads to a particular outcome for people. It, I would argue that it causes a denial and repression and shadow to, to form in this striving for an impossible ideal that the striving to be clean and pure in one's earthly life, um, to be pure of earthly desires, leads one to deny the body, to deny a lot of our emotions that don't fit that standard, that very high vibe standard. And it leads to things like considering that the earth is somehow sinful, um, that Christians talk about this a lot, where they talk about that sins come from the flesh, meaning the body. There's the idea of being unclean or being fundamentally tainted, like the idea of original sin. And this leads to strict adherence to dogma, to earn externally imposed rules in order to try to stay clean and pure. And this is not only a big theme in Christianity and a lot of world religions, but it's also a big theme in polit certain political ideologies, such as namely, particularly Nazism, fascism, nationalism, in that idea of racial purity. So, and, and, and that has translated in the past, like with the Nazi party, for example, to 
being staying pure with with your health, uh, staying very physically fit and not putting things in your body that might taint you, stuff like that. So that's an example of a belief that has implications in how it leads people to act in the world. Um, another example is Christian dominionism, that it, it's a strain, if you aren't familiar with it, of fundamentalist Christianity that wants the government and society to be run according to the dictates in the Bible and with religious law, essentially. And they believe that women should be subservient to their husbands and should focus on the home and raising children. So that would have real world impacts if it were to be or in, in, in the living of that. Um, of course, if it were to be implemented in all of society, that would have really big impacts on everyone. But even just for the people who believe it in their own lives, the women don't get have careers. They do not feel empowered to get divorces. Um, there's a lot of uh, aspects of that way of life that that they really that they manifest because they believe it. Some other examples might be if you think that, Things that are sinful or sins shouldn't be legal. That means that you would, um, or you might, if you think alcohol is a sin, drinking alcohol is a sin, then you would support prohibition. If you think smoking marijuana is a sin, then you'd support criminalizing cannabis. If you think that abortion is a sin, then you would support taking away a woman's right to control her body. All these things have real world impacts. So politics, quote unquote, the word politics is not just what happens in government with politicians and their meetings and laws and all that stuff. But it's really at its core about our beliefs. And we all have beliefs, consciously or unconsciously. We have them. It's important to, I believe, to be conscious of what we believe and to consciously shape our belief system and choose beliefs that lead to the kind of world that we truly want to create, not only for ourselves, but for the people around us. Because most of our beliefs are uncritically adopted by us as children, as we absorb the values and beliefs and ideas of our parents, our religion, our culture, even just like other kids around us. And also beliefs that are formed through our experiences as children in the way that we, the things that we experience when we grow up, as we're growing up in our family and elsewhere. So we, we are drawn to certain beliefs and we reject other beliefs because of our life experiences. Ultimately, either they were formed as children because that's what we experienced and what we were told. And, and we just learned to, uh, we, we, or we grew up in that milieu or because of our life experiences later in life. So a really good example is the idea that you create your own reality. That idea is really an idea that is common among white people, not so common among racial minorities and people who are really poor, like especially in other countries where they're really impoverished, because if you experience racism or economic oppression and you know that that's not your own fault, but that it's a, it's a systematic problem of society, then 
the idea that you create your own reality is going to not jive with your own lived experience of I've experienced a bunch of shit that isn't my actual, um, you know, it's, it's not something that I brought on myself. It's something that happened to me and that's not fair. So also an idea that we could look at as in this way is the idea that our health is our own responsibility and that being unhealthy is a matter of people's bad choices. That works fine if your lived experience is that you can afford organic food, that you can have time to do yoga and meditate and take workshops and do healing work and things like this. But a lot of people don't have these opportunities. Either they're in, they live in a food desert where the only thing around for miles and miles is fast food, or they are a single parent, or they just have to work two jobs in order to pay rent and they're exhausted. So, you know, the idea of doing yoga just seems crazy. There's a lot of things that we take for granted as our beliefs. We don't realize necessarily how they are really shaped and informed by the type of life that we lived and the type of experiences that we've had. So it's easy to hold a certain belief when our lived experience makes it easy for us to believe that. It's uh, and, and I, that's just, I, I'm not going to go more deeply into that idea of like the privilege that, you know, comes with being, being a certain demographic in society, but you can see how that ties in with that. Um, but that's not really where I'm going today. So I'd like to talk more about just why, um, it's important to, at least have an understanding of politics and have an understanding about what beliefs we hold and where they stand and exist on a political spectrum, how they translate to politics. So a lot of times people don't want to think about politics because it's not pleasant and people just want to feel good. That's normal. Um, also educating yourself about politics, about history, philosophy, economics that takes effort and it's not really valued um, and it's especially not valued if our main goal is just to enjoy life so yes I get it we all want to enjoy life and everyone should enjoy their life and has a right to enjoy life at the same time it's kind of an immature attitude to only want to enjoy life and to not ever want to do something that isn't really pleasant. That's not to not ever want to even have to think about things that aren't really pleasant. It's kind of like teenagers who just want to party all the time. But in the new age, I come across that vibe, that sort of attitude a lot. But it's instead of partying with, you know, drugs and alcohol and stuff like that, it's partying in a healthy way with uh, crystal singing bowls and sound baths and cacao ceremonies. <laughs> Those are all lovely, but we need to be honest if we are really just wanting to just live a blissful experience in every moment. And what are we avoiding when we do that? Because I feel like 
the attitude that you just want to enjoy life ignores the fact that every choice we, that we make in our everyday life has consequences, not just for us, but for the world around us, because we don't live in a bubble. You know, that's a um, common fantasy. Almost everyone tends to think of, of ourselves in this little bubble of reality that we're in and social media makes that even worse because then you go online and everyone you talk to thinks exactly the way you do for the most part. Um, it tends to put us in these little bubbles, but it's really a sort of a mental fantasy. It's not the reality of the world we live in because everything we do has choices. So even like things like consumer choices, like recycling, composting, those have impacts on the world eating takeout all the time, think about how much, you know, disposable waste we create from doing that versus buying produce and bringing it home. There's an impact on, you know, local economies from buying locally, uh, getting your food from a farmer's market. Things don't only affect ourselves, but they affect the larger collective in these very small ripple ways that it's really easy to not pay attention to. And especially if we're just wanting to pay attention to only what makes us feel good, then we can really end up being willfully blind to the consequences of our actions. So, I mean, that ties into a, a larger theme that I'm sure I'll be talking about more in the future on future episodes of spiritual maturity and the importance of taking responsibility for contributing to the good of the community and not just living life solely for ourselves, which is something that most of us intellectually go, of course, like that's the kind of person we want to be is a spiritually mature person. But are we really doing what's required to actually live that way? Because that requires paying attention to the impact of our personal choices. So specifically, I'll kind of focus today on how that relates to our political beliefs and, and politics in general and being political, quote unquote. <laughs> so something that I would say, the premise I'm going to be offering here is that choosing to be apolitical makes you ignorant or creates ignorance in yourselves and just in the world. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So something that, you know, a lot of people who consider themselves spiritual consider themselves to be the awakened ones in a lot of ways. And there's a truth to that for sure in the sense that if you are open to the subtle spiritual non-physical realms and other people aren't or don't even believe that they exist, then in a way you are awake to an aspect of reality that other people aren't. So that's totally valid and true, makes sense. But are you really awakened if you aren't conscious of what you really believe in? And if you aren't conscious of what your beliefs, the impact that your beliefs have on the world? Because if we're, because it, it, we all hold beliefs and if we're not conscious of them, then that means we are unconscious of them. So if we're unconscious of our beliefs, then are we truly awake? And so if we want to live consciously, we have to be aware of what we believe and what we stand for and what we value. And we have to be aware of what those beliefs and values lead to, what they manifest in the real world. 
And choosing to be apolitical creates ignorance of what's happening in the world because you choose not to follow current events, you ignore politics, you don't pay any attention to that. So of course you're not going to be aware of what's happening in the world, so you're not really awake in that aspect. But it also creates ignorance of one's own values. And and I'm saying this because I see, have encountered it so often in talking to people where they'll say something and they'll say like a, an opinion that, that is political, maybe about a candidate or something, or, a, or an event, you know, current event, but they, it, but what they say totally clashes with what I know that they value from knowing them as a person. It's like, well, you really care about the environment, but yet you're supporting this person that has attacked the environment in every way possible. You know, there's clashes like that. Like you're your political opinions aren't matching what you believe and what you value because people aren't aware of how their beliefs translate to politics of, of how the, of the connection between the two, like what is the political logic of what you believe and value? And does that match the, the opinions, the political opinions that you might currently hold? So, and also the more we, and in order to have informed opinions in order for our opinions to match our values and just be informed in general, we need to be aware of what's going on politically. So we need to follow politics, at least to some very mild extent. It doesn't mean we need to, you know, watch, you know, Rachel Maddow and, and you know, spend all this time and energy focusing on tiny little political minutiae that has no impact on anyone except for political pundits and the politicians themselves, we can ignore that. But to pay attention to what are these people actually doing? What is their record when a bill is passed, you know, or you hear about a political debate around a bill? What is that bill? Who stands on which side? What do they stand for? What are they actually pushing for? You know, what are they actually doing when they're in office? And stuff like that. And also... Um, also even just w to have some understanding of economics as well, so that you know, and I'll actually get more into this later, so that you know, when people tell you something, um, whether or not to believe them, you know, you don't, you can't know whether or not to believe them if you are completely ignorant of the subject. So by educating ourselves on these things, staying informed, we won't be easily manipulated. So that's another thing I'm going to get into here in a minute. But back to uh, this whole thing of how, of, of being awake and conscious of what we believe and value. In general, I just want to say what we choose not to pay attention to, we become blind to and unable to see. And that that doesn't really match with uh, if, if we value being conscious in our lives and being awakened and awakening to the deeper levels of society, we, you know, staying blind to these things because we choose not to pay attention to them doesn't match that. And so because if you don't pay attention, then you won't know, and these are just some examples, but they're really important because of the massive consequences that they have, not just for humans and for us and other humans, but for the planet. So 
like if people aren't paying attention, they won't know that Trump attacked the environment more than any other president in history. He put a former Exxon CEO in charge of the EPA, which is the agency that was created to protect the environment from big polluters. His administration eliminated over 100 environmental regulations, opened up national parks and wildlife reserves to new oil drilling and mining leases. His administration made it legal to shoot baby wolves in their dens and overturned the ban on importing elephant ivory into the United States. So these are just some examples of things that if we aren't paying attention, what does that say about us? It means we don't really care about the earth that much if we're not paying attention to these things that are really impacting the earth and other species. And if you aren't paying attention, then you might not know that the Democratic Party is where social movements for change go to die (laughs) throughout history. And how the corporate elites that control the Democratic Party rig elections in the same way that Republicans routinely do. But in their case, it's in order to prevent progressive candidates from ever succeeding in the primaries. So there's a lot of things that affect the planet and ourselves and the world around us that we won't be aware of. And if we really care about these things, like if we really care about the environment, I'm kind of using the environment as an example, as a big one here and focusing on that because that's something that so many people who have a deep spiritual life have, you know, they, there's a intrinsic love for life that comes along with that, or that should, I would argue, come along with that. And, uh, connection with the land, a connection with the earth, with non-human species, and these things that humans are doing on a political level and an economic level are hugely impacting the earth, the land, and these other species. So if we want to be open to that and care about them, then we need to pay attention. And unfortunately, all the internet research in the world won't help if we don't want to pay attention to this other stuff like politics because internet research and quote unquote research and I'm using quotes around that for a reason that alone leads to manipulation because there's so much crap on the internet true untrue in between twisted people saying opinions etc that it is possible for anyone to find confirmation for their personal biases on the internet And there are countless misinformation bots, countless grifters, people LARPing and making stuff up just because they want to mess with people. There's people with borderline mental illness spreading a delusional version of reality left and right. There's just so much of that on the internet that if all we do is we go to the internet to find out what's going on, that's not... And and by internet, I mean like YouTube and social media, that's really questionable. And so even if you consider the mainstream media to be your enemy, it's important to pay attention to what they are saying. You can say, you know, keep your enemy, your friends close and your enemies closer. You want to, even if you consider them your enemy, you need to pay attention. And it's important not to think that everything that they report is a lie. I feel like that's a really foolish way, a foolish attitude, because it's not grounded in the reality of how mainstream propaganda actually works. And mainstream and propaganda is something that I've been 
aware of since I was a revolutionary in my 20s and editing a socialist newspaper. I mean, I, you know, I, I really remember when I, back when I was an activist, I was really hated the mainstream media. So I get it. But that's not how internet propaganda but oh, that's not how the mainstream media's propaganda works. They don't just straight up lie because they would lose their credibility. Credible outlets are considered credible because their form of propaganda is a lot more subtle. It's things like what articles get buried in the back page and how they word headlines and what sources do they quote and what people do they re- choose not to quote. It's, it's, a, it's subtle like that. And in in a way, it's much more clever, and it, it's a lot of times more effective, at least it used to be the more effective strategy. But straight up lying is how internet propaganda works. That is how stuff on the internet is often just straight up lying, which is not the case with mainstream media, with a few exceptions the certain media outlets that have been censored or censured is the correct word by the FCC and aren't technically allowed to call themselves news outlets anymore because they've made up things one too many times and they actually got in trouble with the government for it. That would be Fox News (laughs) and everything further to the right of that. Um, But uh, also another thing that people do when, when, questioning the media is they conflate journalists with the corporate bosses. And I feel like that's a really big mistake because yes, all journalists are going to have their own particular bias, but that doesn't change the fact that the vast majority of them are ordinary people trying to do their best to do good journalism. And they're all ordinary people. They're not the corporate heads in charge who have an agenda. They're just journalists. They're just doing their jobs in reporting stuff. And most of the time, it's pretty neutral. And their bias is pretty slight. Most of the time, their bias just comes out in what area or field they choose to report in. You know, what what kind of career are they like? A uh, Like, what is their focus as a journalist? You know, are they a gossip columnist or, you know, focus on celebrities? Or do they focus on, you know, the... Um, neo-Nazi movements, or do they focus on, um, you know, Black Lives Matter? I mean, those kind of things, like, will show their biases, but they're just ordinary people. And the push to propagandize in the media comes from the editors above those people, not the people who actually write the articles. So the words aren't being, it's not like the words are being given to the journalists and the journalists are just putting their name on words that's being handed to them by the people in charge of this grand conspiracy of media. Like, that's not actually how it works. So, and I feel like that's a really kind of classic difference between an actual conspiracy that's true and a deranged conspiracy theory that's ridiculous is the question of, are is the theory assuming that every average worker in the field or the industry is quote, in on it. (laughs) Because if your theory requires everyone to be in on it, it's probably not true. (laughs) Because most people do not have allegiance, hold allegiance to their bosses. Most people do not like their bosses very much. So if you don't believe news articles for factual reporting, like 
like, and I'm talking straight facts, like this thing happened in this date, in this time, and this person said this or did this. So just the facts. If you don't believe news articles for that, then read a book about it. Because there are books on economics, on history, on particular events in history, etc. And at the very least, you'll be educating yourself on how the world works by someone who his only bias is that they care about that subject. <laughs> and um, you can also read Amazon reviews to get a sense of what people say about the biases of certain authors if you you know, care about that kind of stuff. I like reading those reviews. Um, but uh, just, just don't conflate education with just reading stuff on the internet and random websites. Because who knows what the sources are, who knows most of the time they don't cite them. If you can't click a link and go back to the original, you know, like, uh, to, to the source and find out where that source was, like, and et cetera, Eh, like who is a person on the ground or what would that study that that scientific study that is being cited what did it actually say stuff like that that's not really educating yourself at the very least it it can make you vulnerable to being manipulated with misinformation and also just it's important for us ordinary people to be aware and educated because the ruling class relies on our ignorance in order to maintain their power. All misinformation and propaganda depends on people's ignorance to work and it manipulates people's emotions is the other way that it works by getting people to believe things that aren't factually true, but they believe it because it makes them feel a certain way. And so they choose to believe it. And so the more, the, so the less we know about facts and what is actually going on, the more we'll end up just by default believing what we choose to believe because of how it makes us feel. And that's really dangerous because it means that we are, can easily be manipulated. That can, that is a weakness that can be taken advantage of. And I feel like this is especially true when people are not aware of what the candidates and the parties truly represent of what their actual voting records is what these people are actually doing and if they're not aware of what is in alignment with their true values like okay i know that this issue i know where i stand on this issue because this is a thing that i care about and this is you know so when people are ignorant of politics and unaware of how their own values translate to politics they can easily be fooled into politically supporting parties and candidates that represent the opposite of what they actually value. And that's tragic because it's like people are just doing the, are manifesting the opposite of what they truly want to manifest in the world. And that shouldn't happen to anyway, but the unfortunate reality of our society right now is that that happens all the time. And most people end up voting against what they truly value if they vote. And so like a couple examples I can give that are probably pretty obvious, but so if someone tells you that the reason why prices are going up in your grocery store is because there's too many social programs and that's raising the cost of everything and causing inflation, then you might believe them and support their attacks on the poor, 
if you don't know that the real reason that prices are going up is because of the underlying structure of capitalism and the fact that wages haven't risen at the same rate as a cost of living over the last however many years, decades, never rises the same rate. So if, but if you do know that, then you know, you'll know that the poor are your allies and not your enemy. And so you won't fall for it and end up attacking a group of people that's already the, the having the hardest time and struggling the most in society. Like they don't need to be attacked more. It's just like, let's just beat up on the, the, let's all pile on the underdog, you know? It's like, yeah. So, um, so people, a lot of people don't trust the system and there, that is completely valid. And I encourage that. (laughs) I think it's really good that people are not trusting the system, but because of ignorance, unfortunately, that very distrust of the system is being turned against the people who are actually trying to change the system. And it's being used to turn people against each other, ultimately for the, for the purpose of supporting the very system that people don't trust and really, truly want to change. So another example I can give is how, you know, people are... There, you know, there's a lot of speeches and a lot of rhetoric around blaming immigrants for the fact that, you know, jobs are being good jobs are not are, are disappearing in the United States. But it's not so if you can either believe that it's the immigrants that are the problem and then hate immigrants, or you can understand that, oh, All these companies have decided that they could better exploit people overseas than here, so they actually moved their jobs overseas. And that's a reason why these jobs have disappeared in my town. So are you going to blame the immigrants or are you going to blame the corporations? (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. It seems like another example is is thinking that the, the real racists are the people who protest against racism. And the reason why they're protesting is because they've experienced racism their entire lives. So it's kind of crazy to me to think that the people who are the real racists are the ones who are actually experiencing racism and therefore protesting it. But that's what people are being told to believe. And they're falling for it, unfortunately. Um, another example is is the idea that the real fascists are actually socialists because The Nazi party had the word socialist in their name, the National Socialist Party. But if you understand history, you know the reasons why that is. It's kind of somewhat obscure. I'll I'll be, you know, give people that. You do have to like look it up. Um, There's a whole thing of Hitler using a party that had been disbanded in order and, and sort of using the name of that old party in order to get on the ballot and get around restrictions. Um, Also, how the the desire to appeal to the working class by using the word socialist, even though they weren't really socialist, and then Hitler moving the party even more to the right. Um, but also just knowing that the first people that were rounded up by the Nazis once they seized power were socialists and Marxists because they were the biggest political opponents to the Nazi party. So when you understand more about history in this example, 
then you won't fall for such a kind of obvious misdirection there. Um, so in New Age communities, I feel that this manipulation that is happening on us people, the people, uh, often takes the form of conspiracy theories that place all of society's problems at the feet of a evil cabal, which just happens to echo the Nazis' propaganda against communists and Jews when you really get down to it, because the cabal is always somehow pro-communist, or they are the communists, and they're also Jewish, and they're also Nazis at the same time. I don't know how that works, but it's if you dig into these conspiracy theories, they seem to always end up echoing Nazi propaganda. And that's a perfect example of taking people's anger, justified anger, at the corporate elites that run the world, which are a real thing, and they really are running the world, and deflecting that anger very neatly away from the system itself and capitalism, and instead deflecting it towards the very people who have always been the biggest opponents of capitalist exploitation. And they do this by things like calling Biden a socialist, even though he's a neoliberal capitalist. <laughs> And equating the left with corporate Democrats who are completely pro-corporate and not even left-wing if you really look at it. So, it, you know, there's a lot of all these like short little talking points designed to hook people's emotions, to whip up anger and get people to believe the opposite of the truth. So in practice, what this creates is people who love the earth supporting a candidate who has done everything he could to get rid of environmental regulations for the benefit of big polluters. It has caused people who truly desire freedom from having to slave away, at, you know, and to be a cog in the machine of capitalism to support the idea of a military coup to overthrow democracy and hand dictatorial power to a billionaire. It's led people who claim to be all about peace and love to support a movement that explicitly and loudly calls for thousands of people to be tried in secret military courts and then executed. <laughs> so I'm kind of speaking very specifically about QAnon here, but that's actually pretty widespread. And a lot of times people believe a lot of things that are QAnon light without really because, but because they haven't looked at it, again, because they're ignorant of what the movement's really all about, they don't necessarily see this ugly side of it. And they're not really aware of what the, 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 of where those beliefs are taking them, in what direction. And, and I'm really not exaggerating with the things that I was just saying. There are actually thousands of people online calling for countless people, like, for example, all celebrities to be rounded up and executed. And many of them honestly believe themselves to be spiritual light workers and who are fighting for peace and love on earth. I'm not even touching on the extreme misogyny and gay bashing that a lot of these same people also engage in in the name of a war against evil, because of course, being gay is evil in this belief system. So, the more we are aware about these things, about current events, about movements like QAnon, the more we inoculate ourselves against being manipulated 
away from what it is that we truly value. So, and if our spirituality, another thing I'd like to talk about here actually, is that if our spirituality is truly about making the world a better place, it needs to be connected with real world action towards that goal. Because it, otherwise it, it only remains in the realm of ideas and fantasy and a, like a mental construct. Our spirituality needs to lead us into action in the world if our spirituality is about making the world better. Because if it's not about making the world better, then our spirituality is really only about ourselves and will never really take us beyond self-interest and our personal benefit. And if we don't ever go beyond our own self-interest, then we're not really about love and compassion at all, at least not for anyone but ourselves. And I think we really need to be honest about that. Are we living the beliefs that we claim to, the things we claim to believe in? Are we truly living it, the path? walking the path, not just talking the path, so to speak. And I feel like the idea of putting the past behind us and not focusing on things like racism because that just creates more division, ideas like that are expressions of white privilege because they deny the continued oppression that non-white people still face on a daily basis. Because it really is a myth that racism doesn't exist anymore. Like, it doesn't exist to you if you're not a person of color. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you're not going to experience racism. Um, if you like racism, meaning a system of power, an unequal power dynamic that benefits some people at the expense of others, you're not feeling the brunt of that unequal power dynamic. And so those attitudes of just, well, we need to put the past behind us. We just all need to come together. We need to just not see race. They come from a great place. I get where they're coming from, but they accept the status quo as if nothing about the status quo needs to be changed because only when injustices are recognized can there be any motivation to change things. Like if you won't admit that racism is still a problem today that needs to be eliminated that needs to be opposed then you are accepting the racism that actually still does exist today as okay so i get i understand wanting everyone to live in peace that's an absolutely laudable goal it's wonderful but in the face of massive injustices that have never been atoned for and addressed and those wrongs have never been righted then we need justice before we can have peace and calling for peace before you before that justice happens means not means you want peace even with the in the presence of injustice and that just perpetuates injustice so i'd like to uh share some quotes from Wazayatawin who is the author of the book what does justice look like i might be pronouncing her name wrong to be honest um but doing my best. She writes, I would argue that because of the brutal way in which Minnesotans and the United States government exterminated us and dispossessed us of our lands, they have an obligation to make reparations. The crimes against Dakota people did not end in the 19th century, nor did they end in the 20th century. They continue right up to the present moment through the ongoing denial of justice to Dakota people. So the question is, what does recognition of genocide, ethnic cleansing, and colonization demand? 
She continues, White Minnesotans want good relations with the Dakota people, but only if they can maintain the status quo. Many of them really want us to feel good about white people, to feel friendly to white people, and even admire white people, but they avoid the issue of justice like the plague. If Minnesotans today accept the premises that this is the ancestral land of the Dakota Oyate and that settler society perpetrated tremendous crimes against us so that they could dispossess us of our lands and resources, then it is only logical that such recognition would demand concrete action to repair those wrongs. What might this look like? So those, I feel like she's making a really good point, speaking from someone living as a person and in communities that are still feeling that that injustice happening today. It has never ended. And unfortunately, we've been programmed by society just as a result of growing up in a given society, we are enculturated from the time that we're children to accept the status quo as a given, to accept that society as good and right as it is. And we have been essentially programmed to make assumptions like, of course, capitalism is the best economic system, or of course, racism is a thing of the past. It ended when we abolished slavery stuff like that. Most of us can't even really imagine what a truly just society would look like because we've never lived in one. And just like with healing, it that healing starts with acknowledging that a wound exists and that something needs to be healed. You can't heal something if you won't admit that something needs to be healed. So on a personal level, challenging the status quo of our per, of our life currently is essential in order to heal because the status quo represents how we've learned to cope with a trauma, how we've learned to survive in the face of woundedness. And this did succeed in helping us survive, but over time we forget that another way is even possible. And we don't realize just how toxic these coping strategies really are to us and how they prevent us from thriving and expressing who we truly are. And they prevent us from healing. So healing requires letting go of the status quo and being willing to change the status quo. And I feel like that's also true on a cultural level, that we've grown up in a toxic culture and that's all we know. And we've learned to adapt to it, but that's come at a great cost. And considering that modern civilization has now created the sixth mass extinction on the history of this planet, and that 20% of all living species on Earth are in danger of going extinct over the next century, it's clear that we need to abandon the status quo, not just for healing and justice, but it, even in, in order for humanity and millions of other species to even have a future. So... Facing the, the past and acknowledging wounds that exist, they that helps us to realize how just how much better things could be instead of just taking our current wounded reality as how things are. So um, Waza Yatawin writes about the 2004 commemorative march that happened in Minnesota um, of the Dakota people. And... Um, she says, actually, this is a quote from Diane Wilson that was quoted in her book. She says, 
When I listened, I heard words that told me there was another way, one that had been trampled on, beat up, abused, but that still carried a strong message of hope and truth. It was like hearing a song I had almost forgotten, its melody familiar and strange all at once. And Wazayatuin writes, Acknowledging the humanity of our ancestors awakens us to our own humanity, as well as the realization that we, too, see worthy of justice and freedom from oppression. Or maybe that's our worthy of justice and freedom from oppression. I may have written that wrong. <laughs> so I feel like those quotes are really valuable because it describes a process of healing, that healing forces us to face the past and that brings up grief, but grief about the past and the the deep grief that they write about in that commemorative march. It was a it was a march commemorating the force this forced march of Dakota people in which many of their people died. And so it's really heavy and challenging to face, but the only way out is through. And by being willing to face what isn't doesn't make us feel good, we, that's how we make a better future. Ignoring the wounds from the past, in contrast, that's a form of spiritual bypass. Because it is really painful, even for us white people who don't experience racism, for example, on an everyday level, we can experience other injustices, but we're not going to experience that one. But it's painful to face the ugliness of our country's history in acknowledging racism. And it feels good to feel pride in our society and to whitewash its ugly past. So we really need to honestly ask ourselves, is our spirituality about making the world a better place? Or is it about making ourselves feel better? So the final chapter of Wazi Yatwin's book, she calls Developing Peaceful Coexistence. And because I feel like that's a goal that many people have, particularly people in modern spiritual circles, really desire peace. And like I've mentioned before, and so Waziyatuin writes, most of us like to think of ourselves as good human beings, and we do not self-identify as oppressors. Yet oppression occurs every day, sometimes in our families, certainly in our local communities and in the state more broadly. What this means is that there is a disconnect between the way we see ourselves and the way we operate as a collective society. She continues, In order to create a society dedicated to peaceful coexistence, oppression in all its forms must end, particularly forms of oppression that have been institutionalized. We must expose and overturn all the institutions that allow for the systematic exploitation of people and resources, the oppression of groups, and the degradation of the environment. We must eradicate the relationship between the colonizer and the colonized and overturn the institution of colonization. Finally, we must replace those harmful ways with systems and ways of living that are respectful to all of creation. So to me, this is me again, to me, that is peace. That is how we achieve peace. And if we really value peace and justice, equality, and respect for life, and if society doesn't reflect those things that we value, then if we want those values to be a reality, we need to change society in order to better reflect those things that we value. This, at its core, is to me what politics, quote unquote, really means. 
It means we need to understand how our values translate to the political spectrum and to understand where current candidates and parties stand on that spectrum and even just particular events like bills, like um, initiatives and things like that. And I say that because refusing to translate our values into political action, even just voting, even that small action right there, means that we are allowing other people's values to shape reality. If we abstain from taking action, like so if we choose not to vote, for example, we are allowing other people to shape reality according to their values. We are not standing up for our values if we don't take a stand, if we don't choose to act. So if we truly care about what we claim to care about, we need to allow that caring to move us into action in the world. And political action is just a, a small part of that, but it is a part of that. And I know personally a lot of people who say that they're in the middle of the political spectrum and who also say they don't like to take a side because they see it as this polarity of left versus right and it doesn't feel right and and they just want everyone to get along. So a lot of times I hear people talk about not, not caring about politics because they just want everyone to get along. And my response is that we can get along with others without having to share the same beliefs and values. And yes, politics should not divide us unnecessarily. And at the same time, we shouldn't have to pretend to agree with someone just to get along with them. We shouldn't have to abandon any beliefs of our own that might be different in order to get along with people. That would be peace and harmony at an unacceptable cost to me, in my opinion. <laughs> because agreeing to disagree still means disagreeing. And it's okay to disagree. Like, that's what agreeing to disagree means. It's like, hey, we disagree and that's okay. And just wanting everyone to believe the same thing, I feel like not only is it not honest about what we actually value and where we stand, but it isn't respectful of uh, the diversity of, of people and people's sovereignty, people's right to believe what they believe and to stand for what they believe and to have their own values. And we shouldn't ourselves abandon what we stand for for the sake of everyone getting along. So I also tend to think that, and maybe this is idealistic, but it makes sense to me that if we were all fully conscious of our true political beliefs, and if we were honest about what those beliefs were, then we would actually have a greater respect for each other and there would be less divisiveness because we would be fully conscious of where we agree just as much as where we disagree. And we would be able to then step out of this knee-jerk polarization of left versus right, where each side sees the other as a mortal enemy with nothing in common with the other side. Because that's just not the reality. The fact is, first of all, it's not just a left and right spectrum, and I'll get into that. But they're, they're not like the enemy, and it's not like we are totally opposed on everything. Most people have way more things in common than they disagree about. And when we're really aware about what we believe in, and we can all be honest about that and clear about that, then we can have interesting, intellectual, intelligent debates about actual policies and things that actually matter and where we differ on those opinions and which which thing would be better and which choice instead of this and da 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 without having any character assassinations, without attacking people, 
you know, we could actually just have the kind of debates that you hear Socrates having, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> where you're actually exploring and digging into what is the best path forward for humanity. And having your own beliefs challenged and to really have to hear other people's perspectives and go, huh, okay, that's interesting. Now let me think about that. So that to me, that would be a good thing. And we also, I feel like if we were more conscious about what we believe and honest about what we believe, then we wouldn't be so easily manipulated by those who want us to vote against what we care about and instead to vote for what gives them continued power and profit. So luckily, there is an easy way to find out where we value on the political spectrum because our only choices are not left and right. <laughs> that binary model isn't really even accurate in reflecting what people actually believe. So instead, I prefer to think of it as a graph with two axes. And this isn't my own original idea. This is out there. There are a lot of really smart people out there that are advocating for thinking of it this way. And I feel that it's way more helpful. So you have a vertical axis and a horizontal one. And so it's like a graph that you can plot yourself in, um, in four directions. And this corresponds, kind, these two axes kind of correspond, you could say, to the economic and social sides of political philosophy, how some politics are around economics and some politics are around social issues. So, um, yeah. And so there are two spectrums of each, but because there's two of them, we can have, we can be totally on the other side of a spectrum from somebody, but actually be on the same side of a spectrum in a different way. So there's a lot more nuance with this. And so the left-right axis in, in this model reflects the, um, the idea of either collectivism or individualism, really. It's, so that's, it's a, it really ultimately comes down to personal philosophy and beliefs as I was saying before, but it also translates to economics in the idea of private ownership of resources, which is capitalism, versus collective ownership of resources by, you know, the, of communities controlling resources. And note that by resources, this is not referring to the land and possessions that us ordinary people personally use in our everyday lives but rather it's referring to the bulk of the wealth and the land in society that is currently controlled either by the state or by corporations, like the big, the capitalists, people who own large things and they exploit those, those land and those resources for profit. It's not personally used by anyone personally. So no one's advocating to like, to like collectivize someone's house, you know, but maybe for, to collectivize a swath of apartment buildings where the person who owns them isn't even living in 500 apartments, for example. Um, so there's a difference there. I just wanted to clarify because I feel like that's really important if we're going to um, be able to know what we stand for. We have to know what these things are and what's actually being talked about here. <laughs> um, and the up and down axis reflects where people stand on personal freedoms. And a lot of people don't have any idea of where they actually are on the spectrum of personal freedom because a lot of people think that they stand for freedom. But if you really look at it, do they really? Because things like 
wanting the, to have a death penalty in place or, or giving the government authority to kill people with the death penalty, giving authority to the police, having strict laws in general, re- having restrictions on things like abortion or drug use. All of those things are authoritarian stances because they give more power and authority to the state to dictate people's lives rather than giving people the choice to dictate their own lives. So so that's something that people really also need to be honest with themselves about. And the libertarian side of that spectrum, the anti-authoritarian side, that does not imply right wing, as people commonly use the, the term in the United States. But it includes anarchism just as much as the American variant of libertarianism. So what this means is that people can be pro-freedom or anti-authoritarian on the right or left sides of the economic spectrum, and that dictatorships, extremely authoritarian, can also exist on the right or the left. So there's a lot of finger pointing that goes on about who stands for freedom and who's fascist and all this stuff, and that's there's just a lot of confusion around this, and it just turns into like a personal attack rather than anything that's actually factual. So that's why I'm talking about this. <laughs> so like Stalinism is the obvious example of a far left-wing dictatorship, while Pol Pot, or basically every dictator that was installed by the CIA in other countries, are examples of right-wing dictatorships. So the right-wing individualist idea of anti-authoritarianism is kind of like the Wild West. Like, no one is accountable to anyone else. Every individual just does whatever they want because it's individualist, so it's personal freedom. Whereas left-wing collectivist anti-authoritarianism, it's just as much about taking power from the state and giving it back to the people, but it's about people running their own communities for the collective good and not solely for personal gain. So everyone having a voice and everyone having personal power and equal power in a community, but decisions being made for collective purposes and not just individual purposes. So why am I going on and on about this in this, uh, this graph of politics? Because our beliefs and values translate directly to political ideologies. So if our political beliefs If we hold political beliefs because we grew up in a certain culture, a certain community, or because our parents held those uh, political stances, because that's what we are around, and we're not really conscious of where our political beliefs are, they might not match our values. And if they don't match our values, then we aren't really being honest with ourselves or honest with others about what we actually stand for. So if we are going to act in the world in a way that reflects our values, then we need to get conscious of what we stand for and believe in and understand where that exists in politics. So an example, if you believe that we are all part of a greater oneness and that we are all interconnected and that what harms one person harms all of us, then politically and economically, you are a collectivist. You are not an individualist. Like that is a collectivist belief that everything is interconnected and that what harms one person harms us all. So if you want the air and the water and the land protected from big corporations who would destroy destroy those 
the earth for profit, then you don't support free market capitalism because that is what free market capitalism inevitably does. It's the logic of the economic system. You just can't get away from that. And history shows that out over and over again. So if you aren't sure where you stand, that's totally cool. There's an easy questionnaire that you can take online to find out where you stand. Uh, it's at the website politicalcompass.org. And this website is run by people who are not Americans, so they don't have a bias one way in terms of at least American politics. They are political scientists who came up with this model just for the sake of accuracy. And they actually plot all like current like the big politicians in different countries and they track like what are they voting on and what are their actual policies that they're doing and they plot people and they plot parties based on what they actually do not what they say because a candidate can say one thing particularly when they're campaigning and then get into office and do like the complete opposite so you really have to go by what people do and so these guys, they track that. And so it's a really easy way to find out where you stand in relation to politicians and parties in your country. So it, it makes it much easier than you having to go to the trouble of researching all these candidates yourself. <laughs> so that's awesome. And um, so I highly encourage everyone to take the test, even if you think you already know what your politics or what your values, I mean, translate to politically, I still encourage you to take the test because you might be really surprised because this model really gets out of that, just that left-right binary that doesn't accurately describe where people are, that it, it shows us much more accurately what we actually believe in. And also because many people are really confused about the subject, not just because a lot of times we have political stances that are just because we grew up in a certain family and that's what the rest of our family believes, but also just because we've been manipulated, like straight up manipulated so heavily over our entire lives to vote against our own interests and values. So there's a lot of confusion and I feel like this really clears up a lot of that confusion. And so that's why I love it. Um, so, and I don't want to make this episode about me, but I thought I should share where I stand personally with my values and beliefs for the interests of full disclosure. You may have already guessed some of it from some of the stuff that I've said about myself, um, but also just for transparency and to show where I stand. So I believe that all living beings on this planet have an equal right to live free and happy lives. I do not believe that any human being has the right to dominate or control any other human being except to prevent harm to the larger web of life or self-defense. I do not believe that humans are a superior species, nor do I believe that hu any particular humans are superior to any other humans. I believe we are all interconnected and that by supporting the thriving of the entire web of life, we support ourselves to thrive as well. And I believe that harming the web of life means harming ourselves ultimately. So all these beliefs put together puts me all the way down in the bottom left quadrant of the political graph. I'm extremely anti-authoritarian because I don't believe that any government or state is actually beneficial for us like at all. 
And I'm also an extreme collectivist because I believe we're part of a vast community of life and that we have a moral responsibility to support the thriving of that entire community and not just to serve ourselves. I believe that we need to rewild ourselves and relearn how to live in harmony with the earth as indigenous people do. And as our ancestors always did for most of human existence. And there's a name for this political philosophy that of what I believe in that has been around for at least a couple hundred years now, and that's anarcho-primitivism. Although I do prefer the rephrasing of that slightly coined by Derek Jensen, where he he swapped out primitivism for indigenism, meaning a return to an indigenous way of life. And so anarcho-indigenism, I really like that. <laughs> but the um, term that you'll find on Wikipedia is anarcho-primitivism. And I will be talking more about this idea of superiority versus equality in the next episode of this podcast, because that's something that I really care a lot about. And I feel like a lot of things really come down to this idea of, do we believe that uh, in superiority, you know, do we believe that humans are superior or not? Do we believe that humans are equal to other species or not? Or certain humans superior or not, not superior? So that question really is at the core of a lot of people's belief systems and a lot of political belief systems. And it also really ties into empathy in general and how much we empathize with the other or with others in general. And so... Next episode, I'll be continuing this theme of politics before shifting gears with this podcast. And specifically, I'll be discussing the intersection of the New Age with fascism and far-right political beliefs. And I feel like this is really important to talk about because this is the ugly side of the New Age movement. This is where it really starts to go wrong in, in, in its impact in the world. And I feel like it's really important to bring this intersection to light so that we can inoculate our spirituality against the subtle but very toxic influence. So that's it for today. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode, even as annoying of a topic as it is. And if you feel moved by it in any way, even upset, please consider supporting this podcast or e even in, even just to like send me comments and feedback. Just let it move you, let that uh, engagement, the, the emotions that arise move you into action to stand up for what you believe in. And you can share this podcast with your friends and family. It's another great way to support the show. And all of that, all of your engagement helps to make this podcast thrive and become even more rich. And you can follow uh, me on Twitter. It's at Saturn Speaks Pod. And for everything else is SaturnSpeaksPod.com. Until next week, stay awake, aware, and spiritually grounded. Much love.